I'd like to welcome you to the Chapter 49 podcast. Uh, Chapter 49 represents most IRS employees in the state of Indiana as part of the National Treasury Employees Union. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a, a retiree, and I work as a volunteer for Chapter 49 in the area of communications, and so I am the host of the podcast. We'd like to welcome you to our podcast. Uh, we would rec- we would hope that if you like our podcast, you'd spread the word. You can find our podcasts just about anywhere you can find them, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn and, and, and uh, Stitcher and, and on and on. We're on all of those and more platforms that you will find for uh, for uh, podcasts. Just, if you're looking for it, just uh, search under Podcasts by Larry Lannon, L-A-N-N-A-N. I produce a, a number of podcast series, but uh, just look for the Chapter 49 Podcasts in the list, and those are the the ones that we are producing here for Chapter 49. And we welcome once again our chapter president, Duncan Giles. I don't know, Duncan, uh, today is uh, February 18th. I'm looking forward to spring. I don't know about you. Uh, The sooner warm weather can get here, uh, I'm all for it. These people who are like, oh, I love the snow. I love the cold weather. Please move to the Arctic Circle. <laughs> yeah, I, I know plenty of them, but even them are some of them are kind of getting tired of this. So <laughs> we are at least in the central part of Indiana. We are forecast to have some more moderate temperatures in a few days. So we hope there is an, an end to the what's been really kind of a two week winter onslaught of just really cold weather and snow and a little bit of ice. With that said. Let's get serious because COVID is still with us, even though we are seeing uh, encouraging numbers at the national, state, and some local levels. I live in Fishers, Indiana. Our COVID numbers are going down, although we're still in that highest level four category of red because it was so high, it's starting to come down and we're still in that high category. And that's true of, of a good part of Indiana. Yet with all that, we do have... Uh, to recognize that COVID is still a danger in every workplace. And there has been a closing of the Indianapolis call center uh, because uh, of at least one positive case, perhaps more. I'll have you talk about that in a moment. But it was enough that there was a closure for one day of the Indianapolis call center. Uh, A deep cleaning was done, and it was scheduled to be open uh, today. In fact, about as the time that we are recording this podcast on the morning of February 18th. So Duncan, just, uh, I know a lot of rumors are flying. We want to try to be as factual and as straight with information as we can. Just give us a straight information as to what's going on there. Yeah. What's happened. Um, you don't have that many people right now working in the call site itself because of the vast numbers that are teleworking and able to do that successfully. So when they started coming down with, you know, people saying they might have them and got back at least two tests that were positive, another that was presumed positive. Um, And I'm hearing that there are others out there. In consultation with the uh, senior commissioner rep and FMSS, um, as well as call site management, we decided to, uh, they decided with my strong urging Uh, to go ahead and shut it down for the day and go ahead and clean it just to be on the safe side. Right now, 
the posture has not been to shut down sites when there has been um, COVID incidents, when people have come down with it, they just do a really strong cleaning in any of the common areas that that person might have touched if they've been there within the last couple of days. But because we have such a small number of people there and a large percentage of those abnormally high percentage were coming down with COVID, uh, the decision was made to go ahead and close it for a day, give it a good thorough cleaning and reopen it today. Yeah, and that's an interesting point that you make because as you and I have been exchanging messages on this the last couple of days, and you've been telling me that the number of people in that call center right now since the weather and safety leave employees have been called back is like between 20 and 25. So if you have two confirmed uh, positive cases and others where you're awaiting results, that's a high percentage, sadly, is it not? It's absolutely a high percentage, and that's why the decision was made to go ahead, close it, and clean it, just because if we're getting that many and you know we're not sure how many others may have been in contact with these people that could come down, um, you know, because I've talked to several of the people that have not had positive results yet, but they're pretty sure that they do have uh, COVID. I, I really do. I, I take my hat off to FMSS and the seniors commissioner rep, um, as well as the powers that be in uh, WNI for going ahead and closing it for the day and giving it that thorough cleaning. Because I know in cases like the service centers where they're having you know, multiple cases. Now they're more spread out, but they've got those cases and they can't close down. So it, it creates quite an issue. So I'm very happy that we were able to accomplish that here. I think one question that comes up in the minds of employees, and even though we're talking about a call center, this could be true of any IRS office where employees are reporting to work at the office. When absolutely, when there are yeah. well, well, there are. But my question is, when there are situations that come up like this, where you have COVID positive tests, what is the management responsibility in a case like that? What happens when it is employees, and I'll go into the differentiation in a minute, is that they are required to do a ticket, put it into the SAMC system, so that it can be tracked. You know, if they've got a presumed positive and then if it does get to be a confirmation of that. Um, so these tests can be tracked. They can go in and do the thorough cleaning of the area where the person is and also where the common areas that they may have touched. It's almost like a little bit of contract tracing. Now, I say employees and going into the SAMC because in a building like the Mitten K part, where you have other um, governmental agencies in here or uh, people like the great folks in the cleaning crew will find out that a quote, non-IRS employee has had COVID. I get those notices all the time. And we are seeing in the, just to give you an example in the federal building, a, you know, it's not uncommon to have at least one case a week. Uh, between a IRS employee or a non-IRS employee who is either presumed or has tested positive for COVID. And then they make sure that that area does get clean. So it's important for the management staff to make sure that they 
input these through the proper channels so there can be this cleaning that has to be done. You know, Duncan, I think another related issue here, and this this has been, you know, we, again, we're trying to cut the rumors off. We're trying to give you straight information as best we can uh, because there are always rumors going around that all of a sudden uh, these people who are on telework, who were maybe not normally on telework in the past before the pandemic, are somehow going to be pulled off of telework or management will once again begin to enforce that contract provision, you have to be in the office. I think it was one day out of two weeks. You tell me if I'm right on that. But uh, are there any plans? I mean, let's just be straight up on this. Are there any plans to start pulling people off telework at all? Uh, short answer to that is no, there is not. Um, in our in our monthly or weekly national calls between IRS and NTU. Uh, national head of national negotiations, Ken Moffat, and assistant to President Reardon, Doreen Greenwald, are two extremely sharp people who are always on these calls. And they have, uh, you know, asked as of the call last week, are there any plans to WNI and SBSE? Are there any plans to pull people off of telework? And both WNI and SBSE have said, there are no plans at this time to do that. So, you know, I for those of people that are concerned about that, it is right now that is not something that is happening because I know that there are a lot of people out there who are still very concerned about coming to the office and understandably so. I absolutely get that. And as of right now, IRS is very mindful of that and is not planning on pulling anyone off. And unfortunately, COVID continues to be at the heart of many of the issues we're talking about today. Uh, one thing that we brought up in our last podcast, and you brought it up in more than one podcast, is the fact that we do have a contract provision allowing for administrative time for people to get their flu shot. We still do not have any provision for administrative time to get the COVID shot if you are old enough or meet some other criteria uh, to qualify for a shot in Indiana right now. Now, I, I know that uh, there's been discussions that this task force, the White House, has put together. Of course, this it's only been together, I think, a couple of weeks now. And there have been some stories in the federal employee press that uh, that's being looked at carefully. Um, do you have any, any updates or any thoughts about where that may stand right now? I know that we are pushing, NTU is pushing very hard for that. And I talked to a number of executives across the country and across business units uh, every week. And there are some that are very understanding and can't figure out why the IRS has not gone ahead and said, okay, you can have them for flu shots. You could have them for COVID shot. To be honest with you, to me, it's a no brainer. Um, but there are folks higher up that are saying, well, no, that's specific for flu. It's not for COVID. And we are pushing very hard for this. Like you said, there are stories in the media, the, um, the team that president Biden has put together is recommending that agencies do that because they're obviously seeing the common sense value in it. It has not occurred yet at the IRS. I am very hopeful that it will 
especially since, um, you know, right now it's still going to age and not specific groups. And I'm hoping as the age gets a little bit lower, and especially when they say, okay, there are no age limitations, we've got enough uh, flu shots out there to administer to anyone, that they will change their mind on this and give administrative time. So um, I'm hoping everyone uh, will get that shot. I know everyone will not because there are still people that say, I'm not getting the uh, vaccine, but I'm telling you the first opportunity I get, I'm doing it. And I'm hoping the vast majority of people do. Yeah, there are advantages to being a geezer. So I have mine set for March 3rd. (laughs) I'm not quite that season yet. So, Well, I I am. So uh, anyway, uh, and I guess uh, the state is waiting uh, to see how much vaccine, state of Indiana in this case, uh, how much vaccination they will receive in terms of doses. They they may lower that age from 65 to 60, but has not happened yet. Uh, one, yeah, I, and with ahead, the, you know, it's it's different for every state. And then with the uh, winter storms we have had and are having as of today, i.e., Washington D.C. offices are all closed. Then, um, you know, that's that's not helping the distribution of it either. Well, I hate to stay on COVID too long. So hopefully, this will be our last uh, COVID issue, but it is uh, at the forefront. Uh, I know that there have been more than discussions. There are many elected officials with whom NTU is in close contact that uh, we and and other federal employee organizations and so forth are pushing very hard to reinstitute administrative time if you have COVID. There was a provision before it expired. So uh, we are, we as 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 a union are working very hard on Capitol Hill with our legislative staff to let Congress know how important this is for agencies just really to, to be able to run efficiently. Uh, I don't know what's happening with that. Do you have any better feel for it? Right now, I'm hearing there isn't much uh, going on with that. We are really pushing and we need employees to contact their representative and their senators to basically say, hey, look, you know, this time that expired at the end of last year and we need to get that reinstituted because if you do have if you do have covid or if you get a family member that has covid even if you don't and but you have to quarantine just because you've been in contact with them you have to use your own leave or take uh, leave without pay lwap and there are a lot of people who can't afford lwap and don't have that much leave to be able to sick leave to be able to take that, especially for something that's, you know, they look at as rightfully so not their fault because who knows where it may have come from. So everybody needs to contact, you know, when I get asked about this and I'm getting asked quite frequently, I tell people that they need to contact their representative and their senators because those are the ones who have the power to reinstitute this. Yeah, and as we always say, contact your senators and representatives on your own time using your own equipment. We always say that, but we like to remind people about that. But I think, Duncan, the heart of this is that the last thing in the world that any agency would want is, is to have an outbreak of COVID. And if you've if you got people with very little leave and a need for, to, to have a regular income, 
and and you're in you're encouraging them, let's say, not to get tested if they're asymptomatic, not to quarantine when they know they should. I mean, you know, this is encouraging outbreaks. So this there's something in the government's interest here. So I would, you know, if you're going to contact your elected official, make that point that people need to feel safe when they're going to the workplace. And the call center situation that we've had recently is a, is a perfect example of that. Yeah, I mean, you're seeing that, and Congress should be especially mindful of that because they've had people who didn't want to wear masks who apparently came down with COVID, and then others who even were wearing masks were very concerned that they would have to quarantine because of that. So, I mean, it's affected the very people that can pass these laws that would protect those who do get it. So they should be sympathetic to this. Finally, I want to move on to another subject, and this is good news because uh, NTEU filed an arbitration in a particular case for a particular employee that uh, uh, was disciplined uh, uh, because of their performance. And NTEU said, no, management, you did not fulfill your responsibilities to uh, under your what's what the law calls duty to counsel. It's also in our contracts, but it's in the law as well. And the idea here is that, you know, uh, if if your performance goes down, I mean, you've already gone through that probationary period, so obviously you have the ability to do the job. You know, something has probably happened. In my experience, usually it's something personal that's happened with this employee, and I've had to intervene to help the employee in some way. Uh, use a employee assistance program or some other way to deal with whatever personal situation is maybe contributed to, the, or, or maybe it could be an illness. It could be a variety of things, medical issue. But uh, the, the duty to counsel means you've already shown you can do the job you're doing, and all of a sudden your performance decreases. Uh, the management has a responsibility under this duty to counsel concept to get you help, bring you back up uh, to where you should be, where you had been in your performance. So this arbitration uh, verifies that uh, that entire concept. So, so tell us more. You know, I think you've read the, that arbitration in more detail than I have. So please let us let us know what this is about. Yeah, this is just reinforcing what's in our contract, and that's um, and yeah, nobody needs to write this down. There will be no quizzes or homework. But in our national agreement right now, it's Article Twelve, Section Four L. And it talks about the duty, as you said, to make sure that you're getting the proper assistance and counseling to folks who have shown a decline. And this has been in our agreement for a very, very long time in different wording, things of that nature. But it's it's pretty specific on what management needs to do. And this arbitrator not only ruled that management didn't, but what was really good is they included a uh, historical context, and basically talked about the uh, interpreting prior decisions about this in coming to their own decision, which I think is very valuable in the fact that, you know, it's shown that it's a longstanding practice. You have to give people proper time to be able to bring their performance back up. You can't say, okay, it's in the last 60 days of the period, we're going to start zonking you right now, um, and then we're going to lower your appraisal. Well, you know, that's not giving somebody time to bring their scores back up to where they were. 
And like you said, they're usually um, the vast majority of the time there's something going on personally at, that is causing this dip. And there needs to be time for this employee to get their self together, realize what's going on and saying, OK, I need to get my head together back in the game, bring this back up. And if they're not getting that time and counseling and assistance and all the things that they should be coaching, mentoring, whatever it is, then that's not fair to the employee and they shouldn't be harmed by management not doing their job properly. So it's a uh, it's a very heartening decision when you see these reinforcing what the provisions in the contract are. And then, of course, you get the IRS who are saying, well, we don't like this. So we're going to, you know, we're going to take exception to some of these decisions and, you know, try and get them overruled, which they may have been able to uh, a couple of months ago. I think they're going to be having a much tougher time now with the Federal Labor Relations Authority, the FLRA. Yes, there are some new appointees there, and uh, that I think they have a different view as to how labor relations should be conducted in the in the federal sector. And then we'll we'll wait and see on that. But I, I do believe that this is a concept that's been around a very long time. I, I would be surprised if the FLRA would touch that, but we will find out in due time. And it's it's sad the management felt they had to go for exceptions, which is essentially a, an internal appeals process. Uh, to do this, but uh, you know, it, it's good to know that the arbitrator uh, not didn't just you know uphold the union's view on duty to counsel. If someone's uh, uh, performance goes down, uh, the arbitrator went into great detail, as you said, to go back and explain why this is such an important concept. Yeah, I could I could see the IRS going for exceptions if this was an off the wall type decision, but all it did was reinforced and explained prior decisions on this and why the decision was made in a very well-thought-out manner. I want to move on to something else. You know, I went to work for the IRS in 1983. What's that, almost 40 years ago? I can't believe that. Of course, I've been retired for almost uh, 10 years now. But the reason I, I mentioned that is when I started with the IRS in 1983, this whole issue was being discussed then. Now we have, uh, once again, bubbling to the surface uh, in the United States Congress, the possibility that revenue officers will be allowed to take their retirements as law enforcement officers do. I believe I believe that's 20 years, but you correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's what our criminal investigation people at IRS can retire under. Uh, so it's a 20-year retirement. That's a, a lot of uh, law enforcement uh, people, even at the local state level, have 20, 25-year retirement uh, plans for their people who work in law enforcement. And there's been a, an argument made for years that our revenue officers going out in the field and collecting, that's pretty close to law enforcement activity. So tell us uh, what's, uh, what's bubbling uh, in the Congress on this. Yeah, every year uh, at, or every other year when we have our NTU conventions, we do what are called resolutions. And these are things that we're pushing for. And I can tell you, uh, I attended my first um, convention in 1999, and this was one of the things that we were looking at, law enforcement um, retirement for revenue officers. Uh, and we do it every two years since then. And now it appears it's finally, finally getting a little bit of traction. 
as there's been bills introduced, uh, bipartisan bill introduced in the Congress to grant that. Because revenue officers, you know, when you're going out and knocking on doors and trying to collect money for the federal government as a, you know, the old time term revenuer, um, that's a that can be very, very dangerous. And we've thought for years, you know, decades, that they should have um, law enforcement uh, status as law enforcement officers and to be able to get that retirement. And I'm just so thankful that it's being looked at now by Congress and would urge, uh, you know, all the revenue officers out there on their own time, on their own equipment, to contact their representatives and their senators to let them know that this is of interest to them and it would be a good thing and the right thing to do. Yes. And I, I, uh, I would agree that having known many revenue officers over the years that, uh, this is something that, uh, they have deserved and have probably already earned. And I know a lot of revenue officers uh, who would be eligible under this proposal are watching this very carefully. So, uh, thank you for that update. Uh, it's, as I said, it's been around for at least 40 years, probably longer than that. And it has been a resolution at the NTU convention. I've been to two of them. And uh, I think that's it's been a longstanding uh, part of those resolutions that have been passed at, uh, at every convention that NTEU has ever had. So it's been an issue for this union for a very long time. Before we go, we have just a few minutes left here. I just wanted to talk to you about this. Uh, we've talked about this a couple of times in the past. Uh, we have a national agreement. At some point in the near future, there will be talks between um, the, the agency of IRS and the union of NTEU looking at renegotiating that agreement. It's a, it's a large agreement. It's a detailed agreement. Uh, if you look at it, and there, there are a lot of provisions in there, and there's always give and take in these negotiations. You've sat through a number of these. I just wonder if you have any thoughts just based on general conversations you have had, because I would fully expect that Tony Reardon would ask you to come in for at least part uh, of the talks that will be coming up in sometime later this year. Um, just tell me your feel or your your. Uh, your view as to what are going to be the contentious issues where NTEU will will need to try to preserve some of the many rights we have won for employees in the past and what we may want to advance ourselves in and uh, as we look at the new contract. What, what are your general thoughts about that? Um, I think we've got one of the best, if not the best, contracts in the federal sector. Um you know, we've got a great negotiation staff headed up by Ken Moffat. Uh, Jim Bailey will be our chairperson uh, this time. Ken will be our chief spokesperson. I know Doreen Greenwald will be on the team. Um, it's it's going to be an interesting time. You know, I've, I've recently had some discussions uh, with our national office folks on this, and we just don't know at this point um, the proposals are going to be, the first proposals are going to be exchanged very soon. This was pushed back six months because of the, uh, because of COVID. And it'll be interesting to see what management does. Is management going to be of the same mindset from the past administration or the current administration in how they're viewing things? We're looking at fine-tuning. 
Um, we want to bring some things uh, up that are common sense. And, you know, the last agreement, there was a lot of chopping. We want to try and uh, get that more well-rounded, uh, swing that pendulum back towards the middle, if you will. And so how contentious it's going to be, how difficult it's going to be, um, we don't know at this point because we don't know what their what their thinking is. Like I said, I would hope they're going to be reasonable. If they're not, we're going to have a long, long sessions of negotiations. We're going to have a uh, mediation arbitration sessions. That's always fun and interesting. And then uh, if necessary, we'll go in front of the impasse panel. I can tell you with absolute certainty that um, NTU at a national level, and certainly from my viewpoint, is not interested in giving one damn thing up. Um, we want to make sure that we can you know, increase things like CSRs for telework. Well, we've proven it can work, so they should be included non-pandemic times. And if management is going to say, well, it's not working, well, okay, then you tell me how we've been able to take calls during this time. So, you know, it's just things of that nature. The award system, you know, they've, they've decided to change the award system around and cut down the pools. And, um, you know, we're going to be interested in expanding that a little bit back again, because we want to make sure as many people as possible that should get awards qualify for awards and not be penalized because they're in larger groups. You know, if, if it takes a 4.6, if you have to get an outstanding to get an award and a 4.4 or 4.2 won't cut it, that's a tough pill for anybody to swallow. And we want to make sure that we try and do things, try and smooth things like that out. And uh, you and I will be, giving regular updates to people as we can as these talks begin. And a lot of it, of course, does have to stay uh, confidential at certain points, but when it's, uh, when it's available and, and we can make uh, some of these uh, uh, contentious points public, we will, uh, we will do so. Our yep, time- I'd like to bring, bring our uh, national negotiator head, Ken Moffat, back on to talk about it when he can and, I'm sure that uh, from, from recent conversations, I'm sure I'm not sure how much, but uh, I will be involved. <laughs> yes, I'm not surprised to hear that, Doug. And uh, we're we're out of time. Any final comment? In the last minute or so. I just want everybody to be safe out there. Um, between weather, COVID, everything else, be safe. It's Black History Month. And that should be every single month that, you know, we should be treating. It doesn't matter regardless of race, creed, color, sex, anything. Everybody should be treated equally, period, end of story. So please treat your fellow brothers and sisters out there well. Yeah, in our last podcast, I tried to give some examples how black history has really not been taught in schools in the past. Of course, I went to school a long time ago, but I'm not sure. Uh, things have, have changed that much. You just heard Duncan Giles. He's the president 
of NTEU Chapter 49. You've been listening to the Chapter 49 podcast. We appreciate your comments. You can give them to Duncan Giles, or if you're on a platform that allows, please uh, give us a rating or um, leave a comment there. We always appreciate that. My name's Larry Lannon. I'm a, a communications volunteer for NTU Chapter 49 and uh, a retiree. So I wish you all well and hope that you all will be safe and please be kind.